0: The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near West of Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Well, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, or in, on your devices, you can turn there. My intention this morning is to kind of give an overview, kind of a 30,000-foot view. And here, here's the reason. I think, this is me, but I think it's important, whenever you're looking at one of the letters, one of the books of the Bible, I think it's important to see an outline. I think it's important to see the big pieces and to understand the big pieces. Because there's, in the big pieces, there is this forward-moving train of thought and in it as we understand these, this larger picture of what God is revealing to us so that when we are going through the letter, we don't lose track of what God is wanting to say, the overall picture of what God is wanting to say. So there's all kinds of variations through it. You take the book of Ezekiel, and by and large, the book of Ezekiel has to do with God's promise of those that have been scattered abroad, that they will be brought back to Palestine and there was going to be a new covenant. They're going to give a, they'll be given a new heart. And the idea is that through it, they can understand that through penance, they can have forgiveness and find restorations. Big idea. But how many have ever read Ezekiel and it gets, there's a lot of crazy stuff in Ezekiel, but the big overarching theme is what I just talked about concerning Ezekiel. And we see it in the scriptures. The overarching theme in scripture that I've said so many times is crimson thread that runs through scripture. God created all things. The fall of man and then God's working at the redemption of not just man, but of creation. We see that through the theme of the scriptures. And I think it's important that when we look at the book of Revelations, is we don't lose sight of the big pieces of what God is revealing to us. So when we look at it, you, uh, just briefly, if you look at Revelations chapter 1, verse 1, it, we understand who it's written to, but we understand a little bit more about the letter in particular. Because it says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to Him to show the saints, His servants, us and them throughout time, throughout the, th- from, the, from the beginning when it was written to now, to reveal, to show His servants the things which must shortly come to pass. I think this is interesting because of the emphasis, and it says, and he sent and made it known, or declared it. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God made known to him, and he kind of declared it by sending his angel unto his servant John, kind of as a sign. This is God's revelation. And it's God's revelation to his servants. Now, it's interesting because when you look at the word revelation here, the word is apocalypse. And so if you were to just go into an English translation, into an, I mean, into an English dictionary, apocalypse is defined as the complete and final destruction of the world. Or... Uh, an event involving destruction or damage on a catastrophic scale. But what we need to understand is what is the word here in the Scriptures? This word apocalypse. And it's a Greek word. And this word means to uncover, to disclose, or reveal so it's a disclosure of truth, it's a revealing concerning things before unknown. Does it have to do with the end of the world and catastrophic events? Yes, but what you need to have in, locked in your mind is that this book is a revealing of things that were not known before. And so, the book of Revelations, we know, is a series of visions that are both literal and symbolic that reveal future judgment and the ultimate triumph over evil and the final establishing of God's eternal kingdom. So, you have, have that in your mind. Ultimately, this is through the theme of it, it is, it is God's revelation concerning events in the future of how the future will unfold and I know that uh, I've talked to some people that go yeah I don't even read it it's just too confusing to read Revelation and I thought well we should read it it's part of the scriptures and and actually there's a blessing attached to it remember uh Revelations 1 3 if you look it says blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written written in it for the time is near. So whatever that means, whatever blessed means, if we read through the book of Revelations, God said there will be a blessing for us in it. So I've got a simple outline for the book of revelations probably not what some might expect but the simple outline is actually found in revelations chapter 1 verse 19 so if you look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 the angel speaks to john and he says therefore write what you have seen what is now and what is to come so the book is divided in three segments what you what 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 you have seen, what is now, and what is to come. And so if you look at, if you break it down this way, I have. Chapter 1 basically is what you have seen, which is the vision of Jesus. Chapter 2 through 5 is what is now, which is concerning, when he was writing, concerning the seven churches in 2 and 3, and chapter 4 and 5 concerning the throne room of God. And then what is to take place later in chapter 6 through 22, just in a big bulk, all the events that lead up to the second coming and God's final judgment on evil and God making all things new, if you wanted to simplify it that way. There's a lot of outlines out there that break it down differently, but just a very simple outline. Keep in your mind that what, what is the purpose of the book? The purpose of the book is to help them see not only... What, what they have seen, what is now, but what is to come. So we know that the book of Revelation has the idea with something that's out in the future. So again, uh, chapter 1, we see John's vision of the glorified Jesus that, that you can read in specifically verses 9 through 18. But the thing that it, what is now? So he's writing in chapter 2 and 3 to the seven churches. And in 4 and 5, what is now concerning God's throne room. And so, you know, we've all, I, just, I think probably the most, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but maybe the most studied portion of Revelation is probably chapters 2 and 3 concerning the seven churches. So when we read through it, there's seven churches, and each one of them, Jesus identifies himself differently. He basically says, hey, I know what's going on in your assembly, and here's what you need to do. And if you do that, then here is your reward. Here's your promise. And it's through all the churches. So they all face different things. But as I was uh, probably about a month or two ago, I'm just, I'm reading through chapters two and three. And, and, you know, for me, I kind of like to simplify things. And, and, And here's what I begin to see. These seven churches and what they were going through and Jesus' encouragement for them to remain faithful, to overcome. And in each of them, as Jesus identifies himself differently in the rewards, I saw this. So I'm just going to briefly just kind of walk through these. So we know that in the first church that is addressed, which is a church of Ephesus, he's writing to a church that had left its first love. To Smyrna, it was the church in the midst of persecution. Pergamon was a church that had been compromised in its belief. Thyatira was a church that was being drawn away by false prophets. Sardis was a church that was spiritually dead. Philadelphia was a church that was suffering in their weakness, and Laodicea was a lukewarm church. But the things that stuck out to me because I was talking to a friend, he's uh, up in the Midwest, and he's going to be studying this in one of his life groups. And so I, I, we just started chatting, and I said, Here, here's what's interesting to me. is When Jesus addressed these church, he says, hey, I know what's going on, and here's what you need to do. So I know what's going on, here's what you need to do. So keeping that in mind, He's writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know, that you've your fir- I know that you've left your first love. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. To the church of Smyrna, he says, I know the persecution you're in. I know that. Here's what you need to do. Be faithful. To the church in Pergamon, which was compromised in its beliefs, he says, hey, I know what's going on there. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent. To the church of Thyatira, who was being drawn us away from trying to be, they were false prophets, were trying to draw them astray. Jesus says, I know all about that. Here's what you need to do. You need to hold on to the truth. To the church of Sardis, which was spiritually dead, he says, I know what's going on. You need to wake up. And then to the church of Philadelphia that was in its weakness, he says, I know what's going on there. What you need to do is you need to hold on. And to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, he says, I I know what's going on there. What you need to do is be earnest. And so when you look at these admonitions to the church, uh, so relevant hey, I know what's going on. Just, just repent. You need, you need to be faithful. You need to hold on to the truth. You need to wake up. You need to be earnest. And so the admonitions become not just for them, but as you read through them for us. So it's interesting. you know. So Jesus is speaking to the churches, and he's revealing things to the churches, and in the, and in the midst of all this, he's very relevant, and it's to his servants. The letter was written to his servants, to his servants then, to, the, to his servants from then until now, and from now until then. This is for us, this is for us, the church. And so when you get to chapters 4 and 5, it is, in my mind, this is still what is now. It is the throne room of God, and what is taking place in the throne room of God? Well, there's continual worship. There's continual worship of God, and the things that are symbolism and representative concerning the saints and concerning the church, that there is this worship of holy Holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I'm I'm sure that if we were to see it today, we would see this. This goes on. This is going on in God's throne room. Still, right now, today, it's going on just like it has been holy, holy, holy. You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive the glory, the honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we get this image in our mind of what it's like. And while this is all taking place in those chapters, we see that God is seated, and he's got a scroll in his hand, and the scroll has seven wax seals on it. And these This scroll is what is that which will reveal what is coming. And so you read and there is this sadness because John sees this and he can't find anybody who can do anything about the scroll that can open the scroll. There's no one worthy to open the scroll and all of a sudden... It says, but there is one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of, J- root of David. It is Jesus as the one that will be able and has the ability to take the scroll and open the scroll. And it's interesting because John sees this one as this sacrificed lamb who was dead and is alive and is ready to open the scroll. Now think with me. He is ready. He's standing ready at this moment in time to reveal... He's ready to reveal. And again, the writer says, Write what you have seen, what is now, and what is to come. So here stands the Lamb who takes the scroll to open the scroll to reveal the things that were before unknown. And you know, I know that prophetically, some people, there, there's a lot of uh, thought between uh, when all this rolls out. But I can tell you right now, I don't really care what your belief system is about it. There are things that are yet to come. So we can agree on that, because I don't see Jesus in His glory on earth. Anybody, I mean, manifest. I don't see the kingdom of God on earth. I don't see heavenly Jerusalem. There's so many things I don't see yet. So there are still things to take place. And there are so many things that have taken place that we could probably say, well, that seems to fit there, that seems to fit there. But again, what I want us to see is this overall picture of what is taking place and what is God trying to say to us. Why would God write such a book that could be so taken so many different ways? I don't have it all figured out, but I know that he's trying to tell us, his saints, there's this overarching thing that we're going to look at and get to through this book that God's going, I got this. This is going to play out just the way that I want it to play out. And what you need to do is be comforted that I've got this. That this is how this is going to happen. And there's this outline there. There is this big theme. There are these big pieces that are out there that aren't just in the book of Revelation, but when you just look back through Scripture, you see the big pieces of God's promise going, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. And for me, the book of Revelations is this. Yes and amen. This is going to happen. And so for me, it's so encouraging as we go through this. And so you can see in uh, chapter 5 where they sang this new song, giving worthy are you to take the scroll and open it seals because you were the one who was slain. And by your blood you ransomed the people of for God in every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now I think it's important in John's vision to realize that John's vision reveals that the Old Testament promise of God's future victorious kingdom is being brought about by the crucified Messiah. See, Revelation more fully reveals that Jesus' death on the cross was not his defeat, but his enthronement. And it was how he conquered evil. We know that, but Revelation just, in my mind, emphasizes it. And so... The next thing that takes place is Jesus takes the scroll and he breaks the first seal. And through this, again, this is the revelation. This is this, un, this, is this revealing. This is unfolding. So here when Jesus takes the scroll, it begins to open up and it begins to unfold history to its ultimate conclusion. Here is what is going to happen. Here is what is going to take place. And Jesus is revealing that. So then we get to the bulk of Revelations in chapter 6, verses 20, chapter 6 through 22. And I'm just going to summarize it this way judgment and restoration. Again, I'm simplifying, but there's it can be it can you can break it down a lot of different ways. I'm sure if you look at a lot of different outlines, but the bottom line it's talking about judgment and rep, restoration in chapter 6 versus chapter 6 through 16. What we see are three cycles of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, which are a series Uh, which are three series of end-time judgments that are going to come. And the judgments, when you read them, they get increasingly worse and more devastating as time progresses. And so these seals and trumpets of bowls are all connected together. And the reason I say that is because when the seventh seal is opened, it introduces the seven trumpets. And when the seventh trumpet Uh, is blown, it introduces the seven bowls. And so together, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls of the end time comprise this final step of God in humanity and what is going to be taking place. And here's what is that we need to see as well is that in this part of the letter, there's this familiar storyline And the familiar storyline is this, and we need to remember this judgment upon all who oppose God in his Christ. That is a storyline through here. And also, the letter reveals that God's warnings through these judgments alone do not generate repentance. Matter of fact, what happens is that people harden their hearts they will not repent even through the judgment of God. And so then you move to chapters chapter 12 through 14. and the, here's the reason again, I, I would in, admonish you to read sometime in the next short amount of time, just just grab your Bible, find a quiet place and begin to read through the letter and see what God wants to say to you. For me, what I grab through the letter, even in, and again, I read through and I go, okay, I don't quite have all that figured out. I don't have a lot figured out, but boy, look what is there. Look what is obvious as you read through the letter. Just like when you look in the prophets, when you look through, you can take chunks of storyline. Um, accountings, and you can back up from it and you can see the larger picture the larger picture of god 's love and god 's faithfulness to his people and god 's judgment on those that oppose it. You can see that throughout scripture, and so I think that that for me that 's one of the things that keeps encouraging me and we went a while back, we went through what God did in the past, he said he would do and he did, and so Again, as I read through Revelations, I go, I don't quite know how that's all going to pan out. Probably not the way that I think, but it's going to happen. And whatever that looks like. And here's what I know about that. When it's all said and done, I'm on the right side of this thing. Isn't that good to know? (laughs) I'm on the right side of this. I'm going to be okay. So chapters 12 through 14 reveal these signs of this age-old conflict between good and evil. And it's represented by the dragon God's enemy and the woman in her seed, which is representative Messiah and his people. And it reveals this, that the Messiah wins. The Messiah defeats a dragon. He's cast to the earth where he invokes hatred and persecution on God's people and where God's people conquer. And they conquer through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So even in the midst of persecution even in the midst of opposition through this letter we learn that we win and we win a particular way we win through him we win through receiving christ we win through the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and so then chapters 15 and 16 we see god's judgment against the beast and the nations that make war against his christ and then the last of revelations in chapters 17 through 22 talk about the fall of Babylon and the final battle in the new Jerusalem. And, and, and so to maybe put in big pieces, this fall of Babylon just represents the rebellious nations against God. They're going to they're gonna come to their end. It's, it's interesting to me, you know, I hear a lot of people say a lot of stuff and you watch a lot of news and a lot of people say a lot of things on news and I'm just going, you need to read the book. That's not how that's going to work. If you think that's how it's going to work, you're very mistaken. Just just read the book. The book tells a different story. Jesus, God has given this revelation through Jesus of what is to come, what is unknown. This is how this is going to play out. That is not going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. Ultimately, this is what it's going to look like. And so we see this final battle of Jesus appearing, proclaiming justice to hold accountable all those who refuse to repent of their evil ways. And there is a eternal fate that they face, and he deals with evil forever, and he vindicates those who have been faithful to him. I don't know about you, but that's so encouraging to me. And then lastly, you see this new Jerusalem, this marriage of heaven and earth, this new creation where God's come to join his people forever, come to dwell with humanity to make all things new, where we get this opportunity of eternity and eternity with God. And so thinking about all this, John's prophecy, again, it's for every generation to learn from, to uh, To bring hope. And to bring challenge. To bring challenge to every one of God's servants. You know, there's a lot of... You know, you can read through Galatians, and you can read Romans, and... Uh, You can read in Ephesians, and they're just, this is is how you need to live because of who Jesus is and because what Jesus has done. You read through Revelations, and you say, you look at it and say, I need to live a particular way. My life needs to be right. The challenge that is there that God is going to set all things right, and not this week, but the week after, I'm going to be talking about the judgment seat of Christ and the Great White Throne of Judgement. And the reason is, is, if, if we flippantly say, "Well, I've you know, punched my ticket, that's just really the wrong mentality that I have." If you think that you've accepted Jesus and, that's, that you're, you're good to go, and there's nothing past that, I think we need to rethink that. So that's going to be fun to look at. And so this letter, it reveals history's pattern and God's promise. Every human kingdom becomes corrupt. And it must be resisted. But it must be resisted in the power of Christ, in the power of the slain lamb. They overcome by the, word of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But the, see, there is this Promise that is in it that Jesus, who loved and died for this world, will not let evil nations go unchecked. He will return one day to remove evil from this good world that He made, and He's going to, He is going to make all things new. That is so very good. What a promise to motivate faithfulness to in in every generation. I'm sure that back then, I mean, they were so looking forward to the return of Jesus at any moment. And now we have these years, but we're still looking forward to the return of Jesus. We're looking forward to the promise of God fulfilled in us. So there's a part of it being fulfilled right now. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been given new life. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. The power of sin been broken in your life. But hey, there's a lot more to come. There's a lot of good things yet to come that we're going to be blown away by. To see with our very eyes these promises of ultimately this, this big peace idea of God coming and judging the nations, vindicating His people and establishing His kingdom, which we are part of. We're going to see that with our own eyes. That is going to take place. So, I got this from someone sent this to me. I thought this was so good. You see the big pieces of revelations in this. The church and its struggle, the righteous suffering in history, the wicked suffering in history, the deliverance of the righteous from suffering. The wicked judged at the end, all righteous delivered at the end, God's chosen people vindicated, and Jesus glorified. That's all in the letter. That's all in what was revealed. These things are going to happen. This takes place. Now for me, um, a key verse for me is Revelation 17, verse 14, because I think it really summarizes the theme of the book. Revelation 17, 14, talking about the nations against God, it says, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For, I love this. <laughs> for He is Lord of lords, and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called His chosen and faithful. What a promise. So again, you know, the purpose of Revelation is really clearly stated not just at the beginning of the book, but at the end of the book. In Revelations 1, 1 and 3, and Revelations 22, 6 and 10, to reveal things that must come shortly to pass. And so in fulfilling Uh, This purpose, the book is designed to inform, to warn, and to comfort, uh, to inform all who read it. For erring disciples, it's a book of warning and a call to repentance. But for the faithful, it's a book of comfort, because clearly states, "Blessed are those who remain faithful, for they will overcome." You know, as we just kiss, history just keeps rolling on and ke- things keep getting crazier. I just keep dropping back. You know, I don't have to have it all figured out, but I just keep dropping back to say to myself and to know in my heart, "Look, God's got this. This is what's going to happen. What I need to do is I, not, I don't need to worry about all the details. What I need to worry about is me in my life, in my relationship here. That my life is where it needs to be. I say this all the time to guys that I work with. Their life is spinning out of control and I always ask them this, how's this right here? Talk to me. How's this, relation, this vertical relationship between you and Jesus? And I can tell you, 99 times out of 100 they go well it's probably not where it needs to be all right we'll get that right and so the admonition in my mind through this letter is that let's 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 have this right because in being where we need to be we get to receive the promise we get to receive the reward we get to see the fulfillment of all that God has intended for us his servants amen